Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Listen in as your host, Jimmy Atkinson, invites industry leaders to share their best OZ insights and investment strategies. From market updates to fund launches, policy news, tax mitigation strategies, and more, we cover it all here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Our next session here in the main session, we're going to be chatting about that OZ reform legislation that Eric and I were just uh, discussing a moment ago. And to help me out with that, I have two panelists today. One is Blake Christian from HCBT. Blake, I'm running you to panelist right now. And Reed Thomas from JTC Americas will also be joining us. I'm promoting Reed to panelist right now as well. I- I'm going to quickly uh, kind of recap what the OZ reform legislation is. Maybe some of our attendees here aren't sure what it is, or maybe they haven't heard of it. Blake and, and Reed join us from HCVT and JTC Americas, respectively. Uh, gentlemen, why don't you introduce yourself very briefly? Uh, give, give us the ele- elevator pitch on who you are and, uh, and what your firms do. Blake, I'll let you go first or go in an alphabetical order. All right, thanks again for having me. Uh, so I've been a CPA for about 40 years. Um, with a, a large national firm and I've set up about 180 Oz funds for various clients. I also have my own Oz fund, which I'll be talking about a little bit later and um, just do consulting and the compliance work for all those funds. Terrific. And uh, Reed, how about you? Tell us about you and, and JTC Americas and, and what they do. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, JTC um, is a company that's really focused on helping well-intended investment opportunities do the good that they're intending to do. Um, And so we're passionate about helping the opportunity program ultimately be successful. We have over 200 clients in the space today where we do the back office fund administration for opportunity zones. So Urban Catalyst is a client of ours. I was just listening to to Eric talk. So we do the back office financial reporting. We do the compliance tracking to make sure all the funds are compliant. But in addition, all the investors have all of the information they need to remain compliant. And finally, we we measure and track and report on the uh, the impact benefits that the fund is making on the local community. Fantastic. Well, let's dive into our panel. We've got uh, about 20 minutes before our next segment. And then we have three more qualified opportunity funds presenting today. We have Nest Opportunity Fund, um, Aguadilla R&D Industrial OZ Fund. And then we're double dipping with Blake today. Blake's going to come back and and round out the day with MIT Modular QOF. Uh, That's the rest of the agenda for today after we're done here with this segment. To really quickly recap what's going on with Opportunity Zones, as you may or may not know, Opportunity Zones are a tax policy that were enacted as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed in December of 2017 under the Trump administration. So we're about four years into the program now, Uh, but there hasn't really been any reform legislation that has been passed in the interim period. Earlier this year, at the beginning of April, we finally got a pretty comprehensive Opportunity Zone reform bill introduced simultaneously in both the House and the Senate. And what's interesting about this reform legislation, unlike previous attempts, it has full bipartisan support and bicameral support, and it's supported by the original co-sponsors of the Investing in Opportunity Act, and and namely on the Senate side, at the very least, are uh, Democratic Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey and Republican Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. So it has a lot of weight behind it. And what the 
OZ reform legislation is set to do, should it get passed, is first of all, it's going to extend opportunity zones by an additional two years. Currently, the program is set to sunset uh, at the end of 2026, which means you need to trigger a capital gain prior to the end of 26 in order to be eligible for any of the tax benefits associated with investing in a qualified opportunity fund. Um, depending on how you count your 180 days and whether it's uh, triggered through an, a partnership or not, you potentially have up until um, near the middle of September of 27 to actually invest in a QOF. This would extend that those all those end dates by two years. Uh, it would also potentially open up some of the uh, items that have already perished, the 10% basis step up and the 15% basis step up. Get into that a little bit more in a moment here with, with my two panelists. We also expand some of the reporting requirements, decertify some of the high income opportunity zones, um, and allow for the fund of funds. Currently, QOFs are not able to invest in other QOFs. So turning to my panelists now, um, Blake, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to you first here again. Uh, what did I miss in my rundown there? Any, any high level thoughts before we kind of dive into the, into the weeds? The, the one that's a little a little muddy in the legislation, we're not quite sure if it's an oversight or not, is yes, they'll extend the deferral until December 31st, 2028, which means you'll most people will pay April of 2029, but it does not extend the period for reinvestment. So you, we still have a hard you know deadline of gains will have to be incurred before. December 31st, 2026, and then you'll have reinvestment in 2027, mm -hmm. but you won't be able to invest all the way into 2029, which we kind of thought. Again, not clear if that was an oversight or um, or purposeful. Um, it, it's a little unfortunate. Well, potentially also, this is just the initial uh, release that could potentially get clarified uh, before it gets passed, right? Exactly. Exactly. Good. But you didn't of uh, summarizing the, the provisions. Good. Uh, Reed, any any high-level thoughts from you on on and on the uh, legislation? Did I miss anything? No, I think you got it right. Okay, good. Uh, well, let's talk about um, how this is impacting the folks that you two are engaged with. And Reed, I'll, I'll turn to you first here. Um, how are the clients on your fund administration platform at JTC Americas, formerly you guys were NES Financial, uh, for those wondering out there, um, right. how are they handling a potential OZ reform legislation? Uh, how are they responding to it? What are you hearing from some of your clients on that platform? Well, I think in general, everybody's very excited about it. You have a bill that's not only bipartisan, but has broad industry support. And so I think it's it's set up to be quite successful. Uh, our clients, you know, it was surprising to me before this legislation, many many clients said that potential investors uh, understood that the program was winding down, in fact, um, just because the sort of 15% uh, step up in basis opportunity had gone away. So many were wondering, oh, the, the Opportunity Zone Act, uh, that that's old, right? There's it's going away. So why do I want to invest in it? So this, um, even though that was uh, 
not well understood, this has invested new energy into that and sort of taken that issue off the table. So our clients find this very exciting. The fund to funds element that you mentioned is also a massive opportunity um, that will help facilitate investment into, into uh, our clients' opportunity zone funds. I would say the, the preparation work that's going on now is really related to the reporting elements of the new legislation and trying to make sure that they're geared up to meet the new reporting requirements in the areas of impact and the like as they go forward. Good. And uh, Blake, what about you? You advise a number of clients, um, I'm guessing both you know, high net worth investors, limited partners, but also probably funds and and uh, qualified opportunities on businesses as well. What are you hearing from them in terms of how are they responding to this potential legislation? Are they, are they rooting for it? Are they rooting against it? Uh, does anything need to get be fixed with it? No, I, I really haven't heard anybody bashing this legislation. And, uh, and, it's, and it's completely consistent with, uh, you know, what the sponsors wanted out of it. And I, and I do want to say I'm, I'm really happy Cory Booker signed this extension because you know he's he's been kind of vocal that you know maybe there's been some abuse in the program and things so it's nice to see him back in the fold uh i agree with reed completely that you really um the, the fund to fund um uh relaxation is is a big deal uh i have a number of clients because we will set up quaffs for them and then they want to go in and invest in certain um uh, other quaffs and we trip you know sometimes you know, you're negotiating to allow them to invest down at the qozb level and because of their waterfalls and things sometimes you they don't allow you to do that so uh so that's that's a big deal but a, a clients our clients are applauding this um it's definitely helping from the fundraising side too i think uh knowing that this is out there and some additional relief um makes uh, long-term Oz investing even more attractive than it it was last year. Yeah, I uh, totally agreed with that. And uh, just my take anecdotally, I would say probably about 95 to 98% of the people that I interact with in the Opportunity Zone worlds are very supportive of the bill. Uh, I have heard one person tell me that it doesn't, that, that, it, that it goes too far. It, it, the reporting requirements are a little bit too cumbersome potentially i had another person tell me that it doesn't go far enough he wishes that the uh that the reforms legislation uh did a little bit more so uh but but for the most part the consensus is the general consensus in the industry is that uh it's a very good bill and uh the vast majority of the industry seems to be pulling for it and i, I particularly interesting is what eric hayden our previous presenter had to say He's developing in Silicon Valley in downtown San Jose, and a number of the census tracts where he is developing are likely to get disqualified early should this legislation pass. And despite that, he is rooting for it to pass because he knows it's right. going to be a benefit to his investors in the long run. So I thought that was really telling. Uh, he's putting on a fireworks show if the thing <laughs> goes through. So I think that's pretty cool. Hey, uh, what, what about that fund of funds concept how big of a deal is that? How much more transaction volume do you think this may potentially unlock for opportunity zone development, opportunity zone capital deployment if this gets passed? And, and why why was, were fund of funds ever disqualified in the first place? I don't know which one of you wants to take that first, but uh, just jump in. 
Well, I'll let Blake speak to why they might have been disqualified because <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but I, I, my sense is that there are a lot of very good opportunity zone projects out there, investment opportunities out there. In fact, the average fund size for opportunity zones is a, probably around $20 million is sort of the average fund size, which by private equity standards is, is very small. Um, and so I think the fund of funds concept enables those types of funds to be much more successful. And the good news is many of those funds are much more mission driven in many ways or very focused on solving a specific challenge in a community, which is the spirit of the Opportunity Zone program anyway, right? So, so providing a bigger menu of potential target investments like that helps the big funds diversify, helps the small funds do good things in communities and helps reinforce the good that this program is, is ultimately intending to do. And, and Blake, what are your thoughts? I agree. I mean, we heard, you know, earlier from the Columbus Opportunity Zone Fund, you know, the these very, you know, micro focused um, funds, you know, they're, these people are living in those communities. And so they know them best. And so if you have one of these much larger funds that want to diversify, I mean, why not allow that fund to invest in that that other fund? With boots on the ground that knows that community, and they're going to have a have a better impact. Um, you know, one thing that I'll I'll just throw in you know, a little off topic, but you know, I, I've been proposing for a few years. I would really like to see them also layer in uh, some sort of hiring credits and things because there, there's not, you know, the the umbrella legislation is certainly meant to you know create jobs and things. But some of them are going to be temporary, you know, they're construction jobs, things. But if they if they did say, you know, hire from the local community, give a small tax credit for doing that training credit, et cetera, I think that would uh, would further benefit the communities. Yeah, good thought there, Blake. Um, what by, by the way, I, I had a question in the chat a moment ago about what is the bill number. I've posted a link to a summary article that we wrote at Opportunity DB back in April when this reform legislation was first introduced in both the House and the Senate. It's House Resolution number 7467 and Senate Bill number 4065. I've just posted all of that in the Zoom chat. Feel free to click over there and, and take a look at, at uh, our summary there. What are some other finer points of this reform legislation that you think are going to be particularly impactful. And actually, you know, one thing that I'm a little bit unclear on that a lot of investors might be unclear on is how does it impact the 10% basis step up, the 15% basis step up? Are those windows potentially reopening? How, when? Uh, Blake, I'll turn to you because you're the, you're the CPA in the group here. You're probably uh, the most in tune with this than, than anyone else. Um, what is happening exactly with those potential windows there, uh, according yeah. to the provisions of this bill? So, so the it's a great question. But the 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 way that it's drafted right now, uh, even people that have invested already, so they're it, they're not even incentivized at this point uh, anymore. They they'll just ride this legislation if they invested last year, and as long as they reach a uh, six year. Um, hold by the time December 31st, 28 comes around, uh, they'll get a 
uh, 15% step up. Uh, it's lower just, just because you're not going to be, if somebody investing right now won't reach a seven year hold, they lowered the 15 year step up to a six year period. So as long as you invest by uh, the end of 2022, um, let's see, you'll, yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll hit the, it. The 15% test and you invest by the end of 2023, five years hence, you'll, you'll meet the five-year test and you'll get a 10% step up. But yeah, it, people that have already invested will be grandfathered. It's not a, you know, kind of a prospective uh, test to, to be investing. Right. It kind of necessitates them. And by them, I mean, Congress passing this bill before the end of this year uh, for us to know with certainty whether or not the 15% basis step up is going to apply to 21 and 22 investors. Uh, what are you guys hearing in terms of when might this legislation get passed? What are the odds of it getting passed? How would it get passed? Reed, what, have you heard anything? I, I know you have some contacts with their ear to the ground. What What are you hearing in terms of whether or not this thing gets passed and, and how and, and, and when? Well, I mean, optimistically, you hear that it's going to be passed in the fall. Um, you know, uh, September, October. But um, what I'm starting to learn about politics a little bit is sometimes these things are left until after the election. So I think the folks who know a lot more about this than me um, are saying this is something that's going to go down after the election in November um, when it's sort of uh, lame duck or whatever the, the appropriate terminology is because there's certain types of legislation those that tend to be more partisan get focused on now and those that tend to be more bipartisan like this will happen after the election not sure i understand the logic there but that's congress for you yeah absolutely uh, blake i don't know if you've heard anything different or if you have any additional thoughts to add i have a terrible legislative crystal ball as far as timing goes um, but I, you know, again, the fact that it's bipartisan, it really, I think, depends on if there's some, you know, moderate sized tax bill that goes through, if there was, if Build Back Better came back from the ashes in some small form, we'd get tacked on to that. Maybe we'd see it sooner. But I tend to agree with Reed that it'll probably got to let the dust settle after the uh, midterms and then and then see what happens, um, you know, the Democrats something that hey let's let's pass this it's good for job growth etc we'll see right yeah I, that's what i've heard as well and and i've gone on the record as predicting that i think it's going to get passed uh before this session of congress expires probably the end of this year lame duck session after the midterms so that's my big prediction that's what my crystal ball says i don't know how clear or murky it is but we'll find out over the next few months i guess and uh, we are rooting for it to pass We've got a few more minutes here before uh, we need to call it quits. So we'll address any questions that you have. If you have questions on the legislation or anything else OZs for us, please use the Q&A tool in your Zoom toolbar. Uh, we got one question from an anonymous attendee asks, how, if at all, do you guys think the new reporting requirements under this legislation will affect the program from an ESG effectiveness perspective, uh, Reed, I'll, I'll turn to you first. I know that your platform has an impact reporting framework that that um, is highly regarded. What are your thoughts there on how this is going to affect ESG effectiveness? Well, I think this is going to be a good example of 
uh, ESG, real ESG getting done um, because of the the requirement to do measurement and reporting here. You know, we talk about a lot of folks will describe opportunity zones as a tax incentive, which it, it is, but it's that's not primarily why it exists, right? Why it exists is to do good in communities in need. So by definition, it's a social impact pro project or program, um, which is right in the heart of what ESG is all about. So I'm delighted to see these kinds of rules come out because um, as happens with many well-intended programs, they get politicized and then there's lots of folks trying to kill it um, before the, the results are in as to whether it's actually doing good. My belief is we see a lot of good things going on in this space. Um, remember, it takes a long time to get, if you're in a real estate world, to get building permits done and projects lined up and financing together. Um, you know, this program's been around for three or four years now, so we're just starting to see um, these things uh, come to life. Uh, so I think it's going to be a very, very good example of an ESG done right. Perfect. Um, Blake, I'll, I'll turn it to you for some some last thoughts here. If you want to chime in there or any other I, I, last thoughts before we wrap things up. I, I agree 100% with with Reed. We, we're, we are in my, my personal fund is an ESG fund. So, you know, that we're, we applaud, you know, the, the reporting I will tell, we, I don't think this has come up yet, but the, the failure to timely report, uh, is $500 a day. <laughs> I think it might be $200. Uh, so it could be very costly for, for not complying. Um, so it, any, practitioners out there uh need, need to pay attention to this yeah absolutely um well i think we'll we'll finish up there if if you have any questions uh, you want to follow up with our panelists today blake christian is at hcbt and reed thomas is at jtc americas I'll, I'll post some contact information for both of them in the chat in the next few minutes here but uh for now we'll, we'll cut you guys loose there thank you so much for participating today um, Reed, I'll see you some other time. And uh, Blake, I'll see you. And I think you're, you're back on here in uh, not too long, about a half an hour or so, you'll be back on presenting the MIT modular. So thank you, gentlemen, both. Take care, thank everybody. You. All right, thank you. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. You can access our show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com forward slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.